work, and I really enjoy that. We're looking forward to the paralytic this next time together. But I, then I asked the question, um, why is Father's Day not as big a deal as Mother's Day? And there's even a, a, a thinking maybe to, to skip it and go back to Mark. I had to ask myself that question. And I, I began to think that, well, we probably all agree that Mother's Day tends to be maybe more important. Because um, if Mama's not happy, nobody's happy. Um, and, and, and if you forget Mother's Day, you could die. Dad, you might get away. So there's that reasoning. Father's Day, though, um, never seems to always have the emotional energy that Mother's Day does. And I think it's not that we think less of our fathers, but um, the day in itself takes a little more effort. Uh, I remember years ago, um, a, a wife that wasn't particularly happy with her husband came up to me and said, well... Every day is a day of rest for him. Now they just made it a national holiday. <laughs> I think they went into counseling shortly after that. But Father's Day is a little underestimated. I looked up a few facts there. Um, from an economic standpoint, uh, the world, or America, spends one-tenth of the money on Father's Day than they do on Mother's Day. In fact, it gets worse. 22% of all gifts bought on Father's, for, for Father's Day are bought on Father's Day. <laughs> so that means somebody's heading for 7-Eleven uh, <laughs> after church. So there's a, you know, there, there's a difference there. And, and there's a difference between these days. And, and a lot of them had to be of how they kind of came into the origin of, of our, our holiday system. Mother's Day, of course, as we spoke in May... Um, was an invention that uh, a dear woman called Anna Jarvis wanted to bring the nation back together after Civil War. And she, she wanted to uh, raise awareness of historic uh, place her mother had um, and then bring unity back. And so that idea of Mother's Day wrestled around, but eventually Woodrow Wilson, Wilson um, put it into a national holiday in 1914. But Father's Day was meant to kind of mimic it, and, and it had a harder start. It actually started by a gal named Sonora Dodd. Uh, she lived in the state of Washington. She wanted a day to honor her father. It's interesting how it got started. Her dad raised six children at the premature death of her mom, and she wanted to honor her dad, but it didn't have the political backing that uh, a, a day after trying to restore from Civil War had. And so it really struggled to take, to take place. And so the first Father's Day by this woman um, uh, named Dodd came up along in Spokane, Washington in 1910. Um, and on June 5th of all places, because that was her father's birthday. But, but it didn't come roaring in very well. In fact, it struggled along. And it, even in 1914, um, Wilson just raised a flag and said it's Father's Day. So, so nothing really took place. By the 1930s, they tried to say, well, we've got to do something for fathers, so let's make a parent day. And so in New York, they had some parades and they did a bunch of stuff. didn't work. Um, soon it faded away as well. But guess what happened? Retailers... <laughs> in the 50s and 60s said, hey, we make pretty good money in May off of Mother's Day. Why don't we push this thing a little harder? So around 1966, Lyndon Johnson 
proclaimed and asked everyone to celebrate the third Sunday of June as Father's Day, though it did not officially get put on the books till Richard Nixon in 72. So do you remember this? Some of those are a little older. It, Father's Day does not have a deep, long heritage in our country. It's, it's fairly uh, a new holiday celebrated. So in general, there, team, there tends to be a, not so much a religious connection to Father's Day. A lot of fathers don't want to go to church on that, that Sunday where mothers want to be. Remember, Mother's Day was a day it was celebrated in the church. Children read letters to their mothers. Uh, fathers has been more of a commercialized day. And so that, that, that caught my thinking. And I began to be, uh, to be conscious of that. And then I read two quotes. And here's what led me to where we're going this morning. One came by Spurgeon. He said this, A father's holy life is a rich legacy for his children. A father's holy life is a rich legacy for his children. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones, also hitchhiking on this thought, said this, A man whose doctrine is shaky will be shaky his whole life. One almost invariably finds that if a man is wrong on the great truths of the faith, he will be wrong in almost every point in his life. And so it is such an important aspect that the Bible speaks that men follow Christ. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. This verse, of course, is a central teaching to men, to fathers. And we will take a look at that. And then I wanted to give you ten short, just very practical things to think about men. Um, and to be encouraged by, by your children, by wives. Uh, and I think they're practical for anybody, whether you're a father or not. But things that I would line up against uh, this day. Uh, chapter 6, verse 4. You know this verse. This is um, this great teaching of, of great submission within the church. And he, in verse 21, Paul says of chapter 5, he says, look, everyone submits to everyone. And he begins to draw out what that looks like. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands submit to Christ. Children submit to parents, masters, and uh, employees to masters, and so forth. And he's working his way down, all tying this to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gets to fathers, verse 4, chapter 6. He says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Notice the verses sectioned in two ways. The first part of the verse, fathers do not provoke your children, is the natural man. You can be an angry man falling out of bed in the morning. It does not take much to do that. A provoking man, a man who not, not living by the Spirit can come very easy. You can provoke, you can be angry, you can poke, you can do all those things. That's just, you can do that falling out of bed. But the second half of the verse is the spiritual aspect of, of a man. This is where God has got a hold of him and drives him. But bring them up in the discipline and an instruction of the Lord. This is a great little phrase. He says, instead, but, there's a great conjunction there. Instead of letting your natural man take over, this, this natural anger that leads many men, be gripped by Christ. Be gripped by the instruction and the discipline or even the discipling of the Lord. He uses the word ektrafo here. Um, that means bring them up. We translate it that way. It's an interesting word written to men. It has the idea of nourishing, nurturing, bringing, feeding, nurturing, bringing along. Actually, a term that's often associated with a woman, how she would care for. 
but the instructions given to a spiritual man, not the natural man who is naturally angry, but the spiritual man who desires the things of the Lord is instructed to bring up children in this way. It's an interesting verb. It is, it's present tense, so it meaning right now at this point, take an active role, it's an active in it, and it's an imperative, so it's a command. Hey, men, spiritual men, men who know Christ, this is our job. This is what God's called us to do. Rather than being an angry man, disciple your children is the idea here. Notice it says to, uh, to bring them up in the discipline, the padia, uh, the discipleship of the Lord. Bring them towards the Lord. That's your job. I, we tell people all the time our job is not to save people. We cannot in of ourselves save people, but we can always point them to the one who can. The great role of men in the church is to point people to Christ, whether it's their children or others. This is what we do. We disciple them. We walk with them. We take them towards our Lord. The next word is uh, instruction or nuthesis. That's, you know, there used to be a counseling group called nuthetic counseling, instruction. Um, it's didactic in nature. Take them, literally, instruct them towards the Lord. There he is. Let me walk with you, son. Let me walk with you, daughter. Let me walk with you, friend, towards the Lord. This is the idea here. There is nothing greater than where we take those around us. I mean, it's just a great question to think. When I have opportunity with, whether it's my children or people on the job or neighbors, where do I lead to? <laughs> do I lead to very worldly things that in and of themselves will just burn in time? Or do I lead towards the Lord? It's a great question for all of us, whether you're a father or not. Where is the direction that I lead people to? Well, let me give you just, I just thought of 10 very practical things to carry out this command. I think sometimes I've taught on this verse and we get deep into nuthetic and instruction and we work our way through. And those are all great. I've taught those sermons. I know many of you have heard them. But today I thought, I want to just talk about some very practical ways that I've learned. And so sometimes we, we just need reminders how to flush this out. Because you and I read this verse and we go, yeah, I know that. I know that. Well, let's see what, let's look at some thoughts. Ten, ten quick things um, of how we can do this. And men, I had you in mind because I wrote this to myself. Uh, and, but ladies, everything in here would apply to you as well. Number one, work hard but never be too busy. Work hard, but never be too busy. Work is a very important thing. God gave work to man. I love John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says this, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. God has got to work. He worked and perfected our creation, and on the seventh day, he rested from his work. So work is part of what we've done. Even before the fall, man worked. Tend the garden. Now, it was a little easier job, granted. <laughs> but he worked. But work hard, but never be too busy. Because once we're too busy, those around us suffer. And not only those around us suffer, our spiritual life suffers as well. Because a new God has taken our throne. And so, men, one of the ways to carry these things out, this great truth of 
bringing up our children, bringing up those around us and discipline and instruction of the Lord is work hard, but never be too busy. Our families need the example of men who work. You know, uh, almost half of our society doesn't work anymore. We're moving to a country that provides some kind of subsistence to half of our people. Um, we're in a state that is dying for employment, for people to come and build and do this, and we can't find them. Because people don't want to work anymore. Teach your children to work. God loves work. He designed that. But don't work so much that you're too busy. See, that's what God does. God, God is at work. God's at work all the time, right? He's, he, he, he knows the hearts of all people everywhere on this planet at the same time. He's engaged with believers everywhere in every walk of life and every ethnic diversity uh, of our world. He's engaged personally with them. He's always working, but he's never too busy for you. That's our example. At any time, I can step into the throne of grace and talk to my very busy Father in heaven. And he gives me his full attention. That's a great example for you and I, dads. I remember an old pastor, a friend of mine, would admonish me every once in a while as a young pastor. You're busy and you're, you, know, you just don't know all these things when you're young sometimes. And he would say, Scott, at least schedule your children into appointments. <laughs> but, ugh, that shouldn't be that hard. Work hard, but never be too busy, man. Number two, be a Bible man in a godless world. Be a Bible man in a godless world. God never changes his word no matter what the culture does. I hear so much now, rhetoric within Christianity. Well, you know, we got to be more relevant. we got to be able to go here and do that. Christ spoke into such diverse cultures. The Bible has not changed. It's the same letter written to us over thousands of years, pierces thousands of different cultures. No matter what the situation, if you're raised in junior hires, wow, you know, or you, know, you have adult children, the Bible speaks into the lives of people. And we should not be ashamed of it or feel like we have to change it or adapt it to a society that's going the wrong way. Preach the word in season and out of season, Paul tells Timothy. Because it's the right season to always preach the word of God. And so we, we, we teach the word no matter where people are. The Bible, Bible men are men of their word because God is a God of his word. The Bible says in Psalm 33, 11, his counsel stands forever. Be a Bible man. A good friend of mine one time, he just got in the habit, and every time I was around him, he said, you know what the Bible says? You know, the Bible says, I remember saying, hey, you always said the Bible says, because cool, that's what it does, it says. <laughs> and I always have something to talk about because I know my Bible and I can talk about those things. Be a Bible man. Do you believe 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 7, that all scripture is breathed of God, it's a product of God, it's profitable for every situation. Parenting, marriage, job, you name it, the Bible has the answer for it. Oh, let's be Bible men and women. That's what our church needs. That's what our society needs. Your neighbor needs you to be a Bible person. Because in it are the words of life. Do you know your Bible? You say you might be in your heart of hearts going, Scott, I, I just don't know my Bible like I should. 
Start now. Get in a class. Ask somebody to disciple you. Get to know the Bible. You want to talk about having joy in your life? You're missing some joy in your life? You find yourself sad and depressed over economics or whatever else is going on in your life? Get in the Word. I promise you it will restore joy. It will restore joy. In fact, it might be seasoned in your life where it is the only joy you may experience for a little while. Get in and be discipled. Number three, be a worshiper. Be a worshiper. Many men are hard to read. I, I have no idea what they stand for. What do they care about most? What are they living for? I have to ask that of myself as I deal with men um, and fathers and, and just people in the workplace. See, when you read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus is too wonderful of a person. Too, he's too wonderful just to be left on the sideline. He's too wonderful to be, a, to be a, just a Sunday uh, an event. He's a worshiper. That's what this man is. That's the difference between the first part of, of verse 4, that he's provoked by anger. That's his natural response. But the second part shows the spiritual part is because he's been captured by the Lord. And when you're captured by the Lord, you want to take people to him, Right? When you love the Lord Jesus Christ, now, now, is this not true? The greatest gift man could ever have is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet, <laughs> we fail to take people to him, the greatest gift. And it's often because we're not worshipers. We worship. Um, we worship all kinds of things, money, prestige, all of those things. But we fail to be worshipers. And so, fathers, dads, men, women, children, everybody... This is the goal, to praise the Lord throughout our lives in, in public, in private places, wherever we may be. Oh, moms, dads, grandparents, if you're a worshiper, that's very attractive. Your children want to know, your grandchildren want to know why you spend time with the Lord. Why, when you're done with Him, you have such integrity in your life. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, a righteous man who walks in his integrity. How blessed are the children after him. Oh, be a worshiper of the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Don't just think this is worship. This is. Boy, we had a great morning this morning worshiping in song and word now. But oh, worship is in all things. Whatever you do, the Bible says, Working, retired, married, single, father, son, mother, grandparent. Whatever you do, Paul reminds them. Knowing that from the Lord you receive a reward of inheritance, it is the Lord whom you serve. What a great verse to remind it. Fourth, be the greatest spiritual fan of those around you. This one I thought on for a long time. Be the greatest spiritual fan of those around you. Are you a fan of Christ? Are you a fan of those who love Christ? Do you, I, I mean, I, you know, we're, we're, you know, our family's into baseball and all those type of things. We're big fans, man. And we're a fan of Christ. And we're a fan of people who pursue the Lord Jesus Christ as well. I think some, so often it's so easy, dads, for us to uh, cling to our children in some kind of way. It's often been said, you know, that dad, he's, he's living his life through his child. 
He's clinging to that child. And I, I think there's a lesson there that dads set their children um, on pedestals at times. They may cling to their, to their children. I, I think the Bible is pretty clear. Cling to Christ. Give your children that, that goal that you cling to Jesus Christ. You love them and, and you are grateful for them and you want them to walk to the Lord. But you cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. And be a fan of that. It's so easy to push our children towards uh, productivity, to, to economic freedom, to all those type of things. Be a fan of your children loving the Lord Jesus. Be a fan of your grandchildren loving the Lord Jesus. Be a fan of anybody you can find who will listen to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that you learn, and many of you have already learned this, but as we enter into phases into our life where our children are moving into adulthood and and there's a release there, you have to be careful clinging to them because God said they're going to cling to somebody else. And, and there's a process there that begins to show your heart what you cling to. So teach them to cling to Christ. Teach them to value the Lord. You know, Paul had so many things in his life that we probably don't know about, but he spoke this way. He said, more than that, counting everything as, as to be for Christ, he says, I count all things to be lost in the in the view of this passing valley of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. There's such a shedding off of the things that we think are so important for our children. Boy, they've got to get this job. They've got to have this education. They've got to have those things. What could be more important than your children loving Jesus? Is there anything important? Um, those in here who have children that are away from the Lord, is this not true? And we pray for your children. We pray with you for those things. And, and, I, and I think it's so important that if you have that, you should speak to our young families and say, whatever you do, be a fan of your child to love the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, be honest. Share with others. Say, I, I invested in schools. I invested in all these things. And now my son or daughter does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would give it all to have them follow Jesus. Don't be afraid to share your failures in a repentant, confessing way that glorifies God. We need to be a fan of our children walking with the Lord. Listen, half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough about God to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough in Christ to be happy. That's what often happens in parenting. We mess around with Christ. We keep a few rules. We engage in church when it's convenient. And so we're half-hearted Christians, and guess what we do? We raise almost no-hearted children. It just is the way it happens. And so God wants us to look. Hey, he says, look, raise them, bring them up. Nurture them towards these things, toward the discipline and instruction of the Lord, because that's where happiness is. You want joy. You want to see the fruit of the Spirit in your children. Oh, walk with them towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold loosely to them, but walk with them. Paul said this of the Corinth church that went through a lot of struggles. He says, Great is my confidence in you, and great is my boasting on your behalf. That's in the second book that he wrote that was inspired. Because he saw the church beginning to turn back to the Lord, to walk with them, men repented of sins. Oh, boast in that. 
Be a spiritual fan of your children as they walk with the Lord. We just finished BBS Music Camp here this week, and, and uh, we have some wonderful plans that's going to come up in the next years as we try to expand that ministry. But what a joy to watch those children uh, sing, and particularly the thing that got me this year was their memorization of the Scriptures. Uh, kids in our neighborhood came by to have us listen to verses to sign our name on them so they could get points. And, and I'm, I'm hearing stories of, of parents having their children in restaurants and they're saying scripture memory verses, great, solid, come to Jesus verses. Uh, and they're saying, oh, can you hear this verse of mine? The word of God does not return void. <laughs> oh, those are good things. Those are good things. Encourage. Well, just a few more thoughts here because these are exciting things to think about. Um, older generation in here. Put your arms around our younger generation. Encourage them when you see them walking the halls, taking their children to children's ministry. Remind them of, of though it's difficult and you understand, but remind them of the importance of that. Remind them of grace and mercy and all those things that comes with parenting because they need that. They're raising their children in a different world than you raised yours. There's more pressures and more things after them. So encourage them. Be a, be a big fan of those who raise their kids in Christ. Five, display a realistic walk with the Lord. I'm talking about how to discipline and instruct in the Lord. So I'm giving you some very practical things. Display a realistic walk with the Lord. Paul said... This, as he quoted what Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And then he, he adds this, So I gladly, therefore, I gladly, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Display a realistic walk with the Lord. It's hard to be a Christian at times, isn't it? Not just with the world, but our own flesh. <laughs> Get out of the Word for a little while. Stay away from church for a little while and see where your heart naturally goes. Am I not right? We are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. That, that's who we are. And so be realistic to realize there are, there are, there are weaknesses that go on, difficulties... I think sometimes as parents, we set up the spiritual model like, hey, you know, if you get here, kids, you're going to be there. Liar. you got all kinds of struggles going in your heart. Talk with your kids. Pray from your heart. Um, when parents pray from their heart and, and talk about their struggles in front of God as though he's sitting at the table with you, children pay attention to those prayers. They begin to listen with you. Be realistic. Love the gospel. Just talk about the gospel. I remember one time we were driving to church. Kids were really little. Um, we're talking about the gospel. And I finally gave it was communion that day. And I said, uh, hey, kids, what do you think about communion? What do you think communion means? I got the most heretical, you know, answer out of the back seat. <laughs> I think my kids are Catholics. Got to talk about the things of the Lord a little more, right? Well, kids, that's not even close. Let's start with the basics. What is the gospel? What does it mean that Jesus died in our place? 
Let's talk about that. Let's give scenarios that they understand. Be realistic with them. Be ready for wrong answers. Be ready for a wrestling in their sinfulness at times. But have gospel conversation. Have gospel conversation that leads to biblical truth and says, this is what Jesus did for us. Let them learn to say those in their words, own words. Share your faith. If your children never see you share your faith, why would they share theirs? If they never see you sit down with grandparents that are unbelieving or, or uh, go through a situation where you stood for truth in a kind and gracious way, or, or you just shared the loving kindness of Jesus Christ with someone, and they need that. See, this is raising your children in the admonition and the instruction of the Lord. It's just not bringing them to, to Miss Kay down the hall and saying, hey, can you raise my children in the instruction of the Lord? We thank the Lord for Miss Kay and many other teachers that are down that hall that are coming alongside you and helping you with the instruction there. But that's our job. That's our job as parents. Confess your sins and repent in front of your children. Have you ever said, son, daughter, I want you to know what you saw was a godless act. Jesus hung on the cross for your dad's actions there. Will you forgive me? See, be realistic about it. This is, this is training and raising in the admonition of the Lord. This is living honest lives. Otherwise, they just learn to cover everything up just like you covered everything up. And hypocrites really are really good at raising hypocrites. You know that, don't you? We got like hypocrite 101 going. Be honest. Repent from your sins. Set a tone for the fruit of the Spirit in your home. Love, joy, peace. Is those things there? They're just great things. You know, you can go to Hobby Lobby and they have those actually on signs. You can put them in your house. But is your house a house where it says you're loved? We enjoy the joy of the Lord here. We have peace through Jesus Christ. Is that in your home? Have you cultivated those things? See, see, we're so busy, aren't we? And we fly through the house and pew, pew. We've got, we got to get the kids ballet, baseball, you know, karate. Um, we've got a million things going. Church has got stuff going. Kids are in youth. We've got BFG things. We're just going and going, and yet we fail to create the things that God wants. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is where where the work is to be done, and daily, realistically, walking with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there's times to leave your, your offering at the altar and go get right with people. What if, your, what if your kids saw you get right with someone in the church or some other Christian that you've had years of problems with and you, you guys just brush it under the rug? What if your kids saw you actually reconcile with an issue? Wouldn't that help them as they went through life? It's time to leave your offering and go and deal with things. That's real, that's realistic living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I leave that point, brothers and sisters, we are sinners. <laughs> we are saved to sinners, but we are sinners. And so let's be real. Let's tell our children, let's tell those around, yes, if you follow me, it's probably not going to be really good at times. I'm going to not trust the Lord at times, but can I tell you who I'm trying to follow, who, who by the grace of God 
through his mercy and grace who I'm trying to follow, though I make mistakes, he makes none. That's realistic daily living. Six, teach theology in everyday situations. Teach theology in everyday situations. The boys and I in the ranch, we did this outside of mom because we were actually trying to encourage mom. But we'd have what we call peanut talks. I think some of you have heard me talk about this. It was just simply we grabbed a bag of peanuts, went and sat on a stump on the, on, the, on the ranch and just talked about life. Just simple. I mean, it was just simple. I had no agenda. I had a bag of peanuts and four little boys following me. We found a stump. We sat on it. We said, how are we doing? Do we, do we love the Lord? How, how's life going? Just simple questions. It's just amazing what come out of them. Well, Dad, you know, I... I wish I would have done this better because mom asked me and I did. And they go, okay, all right, let's pray and ask the Lord for forgiveness. Let's go clear that with up with mom. Real easy. Real true repentance. This easy theology. God loves us. He's died for us. He's forgiven our sins. Let's be right with him. Let's repent. This is backyard theology working greatly. Having simple conversations about what God does. Ask questions that provoke conversations. Just yesterday, Cana walked by my bedroom. I have a little office in there. I'm studying usually on Saturday afternoons, kind of getting ready for this. I said, Cana, come here. He comes in. I go, and we, I just said this. I said, what do you think about a God that's invisible? And Cana and I had the best conversation just thinking about the person of God, how he revealed himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a great question because as a 17-year-old boy, he goes, yeah, God, he's invisible, isn't he? Does that make him greater in my eyes or lesser? And we wrestled and we talked about that. We led from scriptures. Just having a, just a great conversation about that. Thanks, Dad. Off we went to wherever he was going. Good questions. Backyard theology. Just learning to put it in everyday use. Grandfathers. Oh, grandfathers. Pull your children up onto your lap and talk about the things of the Lord. Die to self. Grandmothers, you have such inroads into those children whether that's a note because they live in New York or wherever they may be, of letting them know that Jesus died for them, loves them, and he has a plan for their life. Just good, simple, everyday theology. God is great. God is big. Do you believe that God spoke creation into existence? Sit and talk about that with children and with family members. Talk about things you heard in the sermon around the lunch table, whether that's you know, in a restaurant in town or at home, and just have a talk and see what comes out of people. See, this is bringing people up in the discipline and the instructions of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and they shall talk with them when you sit in your homes. And I love this little phrase, and when you walk by the way. When you walk by the way. I remember Gina's grandfather, he's died a while back, and came to know Christ late in life, and he told me one day, he said, Scott, he had our oldest son, they were on the ranch together, and they were walking, and he had gone for a walk, and he was holding Colton's hand, he was probably, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, and he came back, and he said, I had prayed for that day when I could hold my great-grandson's hand and walk down the road and talk about what God created. <laughs> Sorry, hon. <laughs> we miss him. But what a great opportunity that grandfather had with a little two- or three-year-old walking about talking about creation. See, that's theology in everyday situation. Seven, show love and grace when it is undeserved. Show love and grace when it was undeserved. 
I mean, I, often when I come home, before I come into the house, I started this practice when I was in seminary and pastoring a church at the same time. I would pull my car over just before I got to the house and ask God to give me extra grace and mercy because I was very tired and very busy as I walked into the home so that I would be able to give grace and mercy when I didn't have anything left. Dads, do you understand that? Moms, do you understand that? When you're out, you've got nothing left to give that God can give that to you. That's what he does. That's how he instills us and strengthens us and gives us all that we need. He, he's beyond measure. A cup can run over with him. And when your cup feels empty, he'll fill it up and let it run over. If you ask him. This is what he does. And so there's times just to say, God, I need strength to show love and mercy today. Will you do that? Paul based his ministry on this. He said this in 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 14. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and in belief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant. And then he said this, with faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. They're found in him. These things are found in him. And so, oh, be gracious and merciful and ask God for that help. Hey, we... We live in a fallen world, and it puts a lot of pressures on us. I know a lot of your husbands, and I know a lot of what they do, and it's difficult. Dads come home very tired, very frustrated at times. Wives, be a helpmate to them. Husbands, run to your Savior. He's got plenty of mercy and grace. Amen? Last couple, eight. Help others love the church. Help others love the church. We're in a society, a Christian society now where the church is constantly picked on and blamed. And We're not perfect. We're not perfect as elders. Uh, but man, there's just shots after shots that go back and forth in churches all the time. Well, we left our church because this, they did this, or they did that. And, you know, we, we don't know. We don't trust them. We hear that all the time. Don't get caught up in that stuff. You know why? Because your children will take it to an nth degree past you. So many children have left churches because their parents mock the church all the time, even though they win every Sunday. Love the church. And, when, and, and my children, pastor's children see things that you wish you could blind them from, and you, you can't. And there's a tendency for pastor's children to be very hurt by the church. They, 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 they struggle deeply. One of the things we've always reminded them is Christ died for that church. So we will die with that if that's what God asks. So please don't blame Christ and don't blame the church. I know it's difficult. Let's work through those things. Parents, grandparents, Christ Jesus loves the church with all her problems and all her struggles. Love the church. Love it. Su submit to your elders and your leaders. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your soul as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. And it isn't that we're going to take it out on you. God's going to take it out on you because he sent his son to bleed for this church. Oh, be careful. Oh, be careful with the church. Not just our church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful how we talk about 
one another and about each other's churches. Pray for your elders as a family. Your church has a leadership that is striving. I'm going to say this. I hope you understand this. My goal, our goal as leadership, is the glorification of Jesus Christ. We're sinners striving to do that, but that is our goal, brothers and sisters. Pray for us. Pray with your children. Sit down at the table and say, let's pray for our leaders. Maybe that's your BFG leader. As he or, or your Sunday school teacher prepares a lesson, pray for them. Pray for your leaders. It's good for you. You're gaining joy in this. Refrain from gossip and speculation. Even this week, after a wonderful announcement, we, just, we heard discouraging things from people. Oh, well, I wonder what's really going on. Don't, don't gauge in that. Your children, they'll, they'll, they'll not want to be where God's people are. Love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. With all our struggles, love us. Love together. Be together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. Because if you forsake it, your children are never going to want to be a part of it. Ephesians 5.25, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you give yourself up for the church? Do you give sacrificially? Do your, do your kids know that you write checks or give money every time or, or every month or however your giving is because you believe what Jesus did? Do they know that? Have you sat down with them and said, here's what mommy and daddy give. Here's what grandpa and grandma give. Here's what we give because God gave to us. This is, this is just coming out of our hearts. This is, what we, this is how we uh, raise our children, bring them up in the admonishment and in the instruction of the Lord. This is how we do it. Nine, repeat truth. Repeat truth. I love this verse, 2 Peter chapter 1, 12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present within you. Rehearse truth. We believe. I love that song wherever Hayward, I think he's in the back. We believe. You know, we believe in the Father. We believe in the Son. Uh, rehearse those truths. Kids, what do we believe? Somebody read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 4. Read it from the back seat as we drive to church. What do we believe? It's going to be the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, his burial and resurrection. It's right there in those verses. Rehearse those truths. God is sovereign. That's a truth we have to rehearse, dads. We have to believe it because our children aren't going to get it if we don't. What about when somebody gets cancer, somebody dies, something happens? Can we lead them back to a gracious, loving, but sovereign God who makes no mistakes in all that he does? Do you believe that? Rehearse that truth with your family. This is how we admonish and, and bring and, and raise up people. God is sovereign. Christ is my Lord and he's my master. He is Kyrios. He is the Lord. I bend my knee to him. Rehearse that truth. Do you bend your knee to the Lord? Or maybe just on Sunday. See, they know the difference. They know the difference between Sunday and Monday. Our job is to say, oh God, help me love you Monday, uh, Monday school like I did on Sunday school. That's, that's what we do, rehearse these truths. The Holy Spirit is my guide. Remind people the Holy Spirit's job is to direct me to Christ and his word. I'm committed to my wife. I'm committed to my family. I'm committed to those in my circle of life, whether I'm single or married. I'm committed to these people for the glory of the Lord. Yes, mommy and daddy went through a tough week. We 
You heard us argue. You heard us go through things. And we are sorry. Would you forgive us for our uh, bad testimony? But we are committed to one another. In Jesus Christ. Are you committed to live a life by faith, not by sight? That's a hard one, isn't it? There is a day coming you will live by sight. You know that? He'll be right there. You'll be in his presence. But till now we live by faith. That's where we need his help. Because it's hard. And we, what we do is we try to live by sight now. Doesn't work very well. Because sight gets ugly. It gets tough. People go through surgeries. People have heart problems. People have cancer. All kinds of things. That's just naming what happened this week. People die. We live by faith. That's how we instruct our children in the Lord. We live by faith. And then just finally, to close it out, we have a perfect father. Isn't that good? There's many here that maybe did not have a father who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I would be afraid to see how many hands that would go up. That question was asked. Many. But you have a heavenly father who will never fail you, never divorce you or anyone in your family who knows him. He will never die. He will never sin. He will always, always do the perfect thing And you can trust your heavenly father with everything in your life. That's our God. And if you're here and heavy hearted, I would plead with you to cling to the father through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you can't get to the father because he's the only way there. But Christ will take you right to him, right into his throne room. And there he'll bring you into the presence of him. And you can tell him anything and ask him anything. Because that's what Jesus does. He intercedes for us and brings us to the Father because no man can get to him except through Jesus. So love your heavenly Father if you don't have an earthly one. He'll always be there for you. Father, thank you for just a good reminder this morning of what it means to bring up people, children, family members, friends, and the admonition and the discipline of the Lord. Lord, we, we know that we're sinners, Lord, and left to our own, we can find ourselves so busy and fleshly thinking in so many ways, Lord. And yet, when we sit down and look at this word and become Bible people, we are reminded that you give us everything we need for life and godliness. In Christ, through his word, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you would encourage us to be men, women, boys and girls, people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and pursue him. Lord, there's probably some in here feel overwhelmed with a message like this. Maybe their life has not uh, shown much fruit. Lord, help them know that right now, even as we sing this next song, they can repent and, and, and your mercies become new again, Lord. 
And so I pray that if there are those who are wrestling with this and look at the failures of maybe their parenting or things in life that have not gone right because of their sin, Lord, bring them to repentance, Lord, right now. Give them a fresh start, Lord. Let them show Jesus Christ in a new and living way today and tomorrow and for the rest of their life, Lord. Lord, Give us all that grace and mercy we need to walk through this life, Lord. Thank you for hearing us teach about you today and sing to you and pray to you. Thank you that we have that access to our perfect Father, Lord. It is very comforting. May your words go forth, Lord, unhibited. In Jesus' name, amen.